Hello, y'all, and welcome to Tap Dancing on a Razor Blade, a brother's tale, a story of defying cultural gravity. So I'm going to tell you a story, and it's a true story. Though as we go along, I may change some of the names, and that's to protect the guilty. Who am I? My name is Anthony Neal Ntuaswa Johnson, son of Ruth and Abdul, grandson of Sam and Ida, grandson of Eloise and Harry. So tap dancing on a razor blade, a brother's tale, defying cultural gravity. I am so glad you're gonna come along. Here we go. Episode 2 Two months later, following my dad's personal meeting with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad of the Nation of Islam, we were living in my Aunt Julia's, my mom's sister, and her husband Peanut's small apartment on Chicago's south side. It was a third-floor walk-up at 46th and Drexel. It was a huge building, the biggest I had ever seen. Three stories high and more than 50 apartments. I would walk to school with my two brothers, passing through an old vacant lot that we dubbed our happy hunting ground. There we chased rats through rocks at bottles and built forts. One day after school, mom told me that we were moving to our own place. We would be leaving Aunt Julia's apartment and moving further south to a second floor apartment on East 60th Street. We lived there for a couple of months before our folks told us some real good news. We were now moving to a house, not another apartment. This would be our first real house, but we were not by ourselves. It was a large gray house with big windows and black trim on 69th and Eggleston, 6937 South Eggleston to be exact. There was me, my two brothers, my sister Donna, mom, dad, Aunt Joyce, Uncle Johnny, my cousins, Johnny Earl, James, Calvin, and Lynette. Then there was Uncle Tonio and Aunt Jean. Ah, Aunt Jean was my favorite. Or as everybody said, I was her favorite. Jean worked downtown at Spiegel's, putting catalogs in boxes on the night shift. She would come home late at night and I would be the only one in the whole house waiting up for her. We would talk and we would eat. Whatever Jean had brought home. I loved waiting up for Jean. It's probably why I'm a night owl to this day. Jean was not the only one who worked nights. My ma worked nights too. Cleaning rooms at the Drake Hotel downtown. Every now and then, Dad would let us go with him to pick Mom up. Come on, y'all, let's go to the loop, Daddy would say. 
The four of us would pile into the back of his old brown Chrysler. The red glow of taillights on downtown traffic was so thrilling. All those cars, all those lights, where was everyone going? And why so fast? I especially love riding downtown on Lakeshore Drive. Our Eggleston house was always full and served as a gathering place, it seemed, for everyone who came from Hattiesburg and had made their way to Chicago. When they all gathered, they engaged in what seemed to me at the time their national pastime, playing bid whist. They would play this card game all night long. Mom, Dad, Aunt Jean, Antonio, Uncle Johnny, Aunt Joyce. They were joined by Uncle Prentice, Uncle John, and Houston Brown, the loudest of the loud. They played cards, drank liquor, all except Daddy. While listening to music by Nancy Wilson and Lou Ross. Come to think of it, I have never seen my dad at this time, known as Howard 5X, drink or smoke in my life. So I can't say I got those bad habits from him. And it was here on Eggleston Avenue that I began to develop what may be called bad habits. And I also discovered gangs or they discovered me. We did what city boys on the south side of Chicago do, or at least what some of us did. The thought of not belonging to a gang was not an option. We were young men, friends fighting together to survive. This is what it appeared to be, just as I imagine. It appears that way today. And like all young men everywhere, we wanted to be grown men. My running crew included Otha, Ralph, and Malcolm, Tico, and Wild Willie. Otha was tall and slender with unusually light brown eyes. <laughs> A direct opposite of big, burly, almost six-foot Ralph. Malcolm was the handsome and athletic one. He was my best friend. He and I competed feverishly in baseball, football, basketball, and chasing girls. We also fought a lot. We ran with other more crazy members like Wild Willie and Crazy Curtis. Bad boys for sure. Together we would fight other boys who dared to enter our turf and talk to our girls or who we didn't, just didn't like. Willie's specialty was beating dudes with a baseball bat. I had to pull him off many times. I personally favored heads up, one-on-one -on -one boxing. I loved to box boxing as opposed to weapons, probably because I was a show-off. 
Willie was the one who taught me how to make cheap street brass knuckles. I remember we would bend a fork so the prongs would face up and provide a way to scar whoever we punched. Another technique involved getting some tacks and electrical tape. We would push the thumbtacks through the tape and wind the tape around our knuckles a few times. This would leave blood markings on dudes' faces. He also taught me how to make a zip gun. In those days, we would break off an antenna from a car to get a barrel, then carve a piece of wood in the shape of a gun, tape the antenna barrel on top, get some tire rubber to serve as a spring. A can opener would be our trigger, and we would steal some 22 bullets, place one in the antenna barrel, pull back the rubber, and bam, we had a gun. Unlike these days, a gun back then was a rarity. Later, I would graduate to real guns, but that would be getting ahead of the story. We went about it as best we could with what we had or thought we had. As I reflect back on those days, I feel so blessed because my parents were always there for me. I am thankful that I, unlike many of my friends, had both of my parents at home. On Mondays, we would steal bread and rolls from the bread truck delivery man. Timing was critical. You had to dash and grab the goodies in the time the driver took a rack inside the grocery store. I would lay out the plan, assign roles, and supervise the split once we had accomplished our mission. Stealing pastry and bread was fun, but robbing laundromats became our little gang specialty. I remember one night we decided to rob Reed's laundromat on 71st Street. I was around 11 years old at the time. Big Ralph got a sledgehammer. Otha stood guard and I kept anybody away from Ralph as he pulled the sledgehammer from under his long blue coat. He hit the coin machine about six times before it broke. We grabbed up the change and filled our pockets and ran outside into the waiting arms of the police. In those days, the police called your folks and they came down to pick you up. After all, I was only 11 years old. I guess there's something to say about the good old days. My dad would always talk to the police while my mom always cried. It is a scene that would be played out again and again. My favorite outdoor activity? Walking the ledges at Hamilton Park. We would climb up to where the ledge was, where our hands barely fit the small crevices that would hold our weight as we inched slowly along. If you fell down, you got your ass kicked. I learned to walk the ledges better than anyone. I also became quite an ice skater. We played ice hockey on cold Chicago Saturday mornings until our faces felt like popsicles.
but it was a bright spring morning in Hamilton Park. We were walking the ledges when Willie showed up screaming that we had to gather our boys and go to 63rd Street for a rumble. 63rd Street, that was out of our turf. That was some eight blocks away. What's up, I asked. Disciples fucked Curtis up last night. We got to go get him. We were known as the first, which stood for 71st Street, which in our minds we owned. The black banisters on the sidewalk where we held court are still emblazoned in my psyche. Tiered boundaries of masculine puberty. The banisters were ours. The sidewalk was ours. We owned something. This was our Camelot, an ordained sanctuary where admittance and permission to hang was earned. We met there every day to drink, to plot, and to be seen. From this asphalt location, we plotted how to fight Blackstone Rangers and Devil's Disciples, choosing not to affiliate with either. For this, we were always in the sights of one gang or the other. Where is Curtis? Oath asked. In the hospital, man, said Willie. We all looked at each other and we knew what we had to do. Go get your shit and meet me on the divide out on 71st Street in half an hour, Willie shouted. We all nodded in agreement and off we went. Ralph got his uncle's car and eight of us piled in. We got to the Empress Movie House on 63rd for the four o'clock matinee. The disciples were not expecting us to be there. We bought tickets and went in two at a time and all met up in the balcony. When the movie ended, we saw three disciples with their girlfriends a couple of rows in front of us. Willie nodded and we began to fight, punching with our homemade brass knuckles. Willie pulled out his trusty bat and all hell broke loose. Ralph grabbed one of them as the other two dashed downstairs, Willie grabbed his feet and they threw his ass off the balcony and we all ran for the exit. For show three years earlier, my brothers and I, we'd buy one of those tall bags of popcorn before we went inside the movie. Popcorn was the only food allowed in we would eat half the bag of popcorn, stuff three or four White Castle hamburgers in the bag, add a little more popcorn on the top for coverage, and head on into the movie. My brothers and I loved White Castle hamburgers. Back then, you could get eight for a dollar. And even now, when I fly back to Chicago, after leaving O'Hare, my first stop, 79th and Stony Island Avenue to get some White Castles. I attended Elihu Yale Elementary School, named after the founder of Yale University. 
named after him and located on South 70th Street and Yale Avenue. One day at lunch, we were all eating and shooting the shit when teachers burst into screams and shouts like the world was ending. Then the announcement came. President Kennedy had been shot. I was shocked and sad, too. Kennedy was doing something for black folks, or at least so it seemed. Who shot him? I asked. No one knew the answer or too busy crying. They sent us all home early that day, I remember. I was in the eighth grade and about to graduate. A half day was cool with me. I went to the park with Jeannie. Jeannie was so pretty. And she had hairy legs in the eighth grade. And boys from high school came to see her. To spend time with her was an honor. And man, did I take it in. She had a boyfriend, some older dude with a car who would pick her up after school. But she let me walk her to the park. She's also the one who invited me to go swimming at Englewood High School pool. So one Saturday I went, carefully swimming only in the shallow end, of course. But then I remember strutting along the deep end, showing off when somebody pushed me in. I could not tread water and I sank like a rock. I saw my life pass in front of me like a film strip. I was dying. Flashes of my earlier childhood were displayed as if I were in a Sunday movie matinee. I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. Then someone grabbed me by my waist and pulled me to the top. Air never felt so sweet. It was the same joker who pushed me in, but I didn't care. I was choking and breathing so hard and so happy to be alive. This would be the second time of four times that I count that I would experience some form of dying. These were the days in Chicago when we had January graduations. It was cold as hell on our graduation day. My friend Malcolm and I had somebody buy us some wine called Orange Rock. A couple of bottles, as I recollect, and we got drunk as a skunk. I remember walking home in the snow, throwing up and leaving orange puke in the white snow. I had a hangover the next day. In addition to the ass whipping my daddy gave me for coming home drunk. Boy, you must be crazy. You're only in the eighth grade and already coming home drunk, he shouted as he raised his strong arms as high as he could as sweat dripped from his tight face. My dad was a strong man. I brought you into this world and God damn it, I'll take you out of it if you don't straighten your ass up, he shouted in between the downward strokes. He didn't beat me too bad this time because he knew I had to go to work early the next morning.
Conscious, oh, 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 you mean awake, like alert, you know, like not knocked out, no, conscious is like your breath is at stake, bullshit, locked out, aware of the source, knowing the sun will never clock out, the second brother bit down a little harder on his toothpick, and he said, hey man, what you talking about, like I was saying, you know the brother, the tall one, the mean one, the no-shit-taking one, the one who never skated. Yeah, I know for sure he's incarcerated. Hey, look here, I said. You say that so smooth, where you go to school? Oh, come on, man. Everybody in the hood know how to say incarcerated. Say it with me. Incarcerated. 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 Say it fast. Incarcerated. 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 It's kind of cool. I smiled, bit my lip. So you think that's cool? Shit. Allow me to show you cool. Listen. Conscious is like. Conscious is like, conscious is like, close your eyes. Imagine it's 110 degrees. You're in the desert on your knees. You reach down, put your face close to the ground. Dip your hands into the hot sand. You scoop it up and it's water. You drink your fill. Conscious lets you see over the tallest hill. Conscious is like intuition on speed. Like knowing that kindness equals deed. Fear? No need. Locked up? Conscious is unlockable. Plugged into the unclockable. The undockable, the unstoppable, the always cockable, the never ending tick tockable. I'm conscious. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Tap Dancing on a Razor Blade. A Brother's Tale. 
a story of defying cultural gravity, a podcast for the rest of us that speaks to the best in each of us. Thanks again, and stay tuned for the next episode. Peace now.